Podcast.net Podcast Network. Hey, Patience, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm just hanging out, drinking some beer. Yeah, okay. Well, what do you got there? Uh, I have this delicious Bud Light. It, what? Why, why are you looking at me like that? You're drinking a fucking Bud Light? Well, yeah, I mean... Have you been to the bar? You see there's other beers there? Have, have you... I, okay, do you see what I'm drinking? Well, yeah, you're drinking, what is that, a, a little yellow pill? Yeah, it's an Oscar Blues beer. They're a local Austin brewery. Well, they're actually, they have two in Denver and they have one in North Carolina, but they're, uh, they're really good. Look, you know what? I know that you've been sold by the man to think that maybe these Budweiser, they're all American or something, but nothing's more American than a craft brewery like Oscar Blues Brewery, right? Try, you know what? Here, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw that over there. Okay. There you go. Now okay. drink this. I mean, I drink this mama's fine. little yellow pills. Fine. Oh, that's actually doesn't taste like piss water. It's really, really good. Exactly. <laughs> it's for people who don't want oh to drink gosh. piss water, oh. who want light and refreshing without piss you water. You changed my life, Chris. You're so welcome. <laughs> they come from the bowels of hell, guided by a master plan domination of the earth. It arouses such emotion that the management has been forced to state positively no refund. You want to see something really scary? Um, are we all going to keep our clothes on? Uh, I want to see something maybe. medium scary. Medium, yeah, <laughs> medium, something scary. medium scary. <laughs> Why does it have to be like, you know, like maybe just something like... Maybe something between medium and not scary. So you don't want the hot, you want the mild yeah. scary? No, I don't want to go mild, no. I don't, I don't want... Do you I have mean, anything like like maybe mango citrus scary? <laughs> Pineapple like salsa a, scary. I would like a light dusting of scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is from Horror Podcast, guys. I'm embarrassed for all of us, quite frankly. I want right to see now. something scary for once. I just don't want anything with lots of If you want to see something scary, you're probably not going to watch any of the anthologies that we watch Right, that's true. Well, Because none of them are particularly scary. Was it, were you scared? Was anybody scared by anything in any of these anthologies? Nope. Mm, no. Yeah. But as we've said before, horror is not necessarily bad because right, it's I'm not just saying scary. In six movies with multiple stories, nothing was scary. Well, I do want to point out um, our next movie is Twilight Zone the movie, which hopefully if you're listening to this, you have seen it at least once and not maybe 30,000 times like I have. But when I was a kid and I saw Twilight Zone the movie, there was definitely a couple of segments that, that terrified me. Yeah, when me. I was a kid, yeah. I, I found, especially the second segment, I found it really scary with all the Looney Tunes coming to life Yes, and that's the one I was going to talk about That scared the as well. shit out of me yeah. as a kid. I thought it was terrifying. Yeah. But, and, and as an adult, I oh. find the uh, fourth segment... Uh, Still a little frightening because flying, as much as I try and rationalize myself, everything's fine. Everything's fine. What could go wrong? I, I can't help flying. but be reminded of either John Lithgow or William Shatner sitting on a plane. By the way, I don't know if you guys ever watched. Did you ever watch the was the John Lithgow sci-fi uh, sitcom uh, Third Rock from the Sun? So there was a thing where their boss, who was an alien, was finally revealed who he was, and it was William Shatner. And he came to Earth, and he's and Shatner goes. I'm sorry, I'd like, I'm see a little stressed. I had this crazy experience on the plane. There was some monster on the wing, and Lithgow goes, the same thing happened to me! Okay, so I am totally not losing my mind, because I could have sworn that this was William Shatner 
And then it wasn't. It was John Lithgow. And it's I was Shatner like, in the original okay, Twilight. So I was okay because I was totally expecting all, all it to but be one of these are remakes of original Twilight Zone episodes. Thank the gods, I'm not. Like wow, that's crazy! You didn't mental. know that. Yeah. No, I mean I knew that. I knew I was like, why is? I thought this was William Shatner. Right, I'm on but, Chris, but before we start, let's take a moment and yeah. uh, introduce ourselves. Before we start, I'm Chris. Patience. Russell. Rob. Uh, and this is part two of our anthology series. If you if you if you're just stumbling across this, our part one covers the house that dripped blood, Quidon, and nightmares. And now we're getting into more modern stuff, although not terribly more modern because a lot of our stuff is. I don't think we go past 1990 something. But and, and uh, this yeah. is a, a deep cut podcast. that's also spoiler heavy. So if you want to see these movies without knowing anything about them, then you're going to want to pause and come back. And if you love this podcast, please think about becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. We need you guys. This is the only reason we can keep doing these things. So, yeah, really, we got four tiers. Two, five, ten, and twenty-five dollars. It doesn't matter which tier you do, it helps. And are you honestly going to miss two, five, ten, or twenty-five dollars a month coming out of your bank account, depending on what your current situation is? Think about that and go. I listen to these guys all the time. I listen to one of us dot, net dot, all the time. Why can't I help? Am I am I going to miss that? Please think about it because it makes little difference to you. It makes huge difference to us. It's how we keep this going. It's how the site keeps going. We literally cannot do this without you. And there's lots of bonus content in our forums for those of you who do subscribe that I think you guys are really going to love. It's funny. We keep getting subscribers who are like, I'm subscribing just because I want to support you guys. I don't have a forum account. And I'm like, I think you guys are missing out on some of our best content. There's, there's a lot really cool of great content in there I think yeah. you guys are going to love. But regardless... Let's move on and talk about Twilight Zone, the movie. It's, I think it's my turn for the yeah. synopsis, yeah, isn't it? Is. Someone the, 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 the summersization. The, the summers writes the, uh, the synopses, and uh, we call it the summersizations. Copyright. Uh, <laughs> Four directors create new stories based on the classic Rod Serling TV series. The first about a middle-aged racist suddenly thrown into dangerous times in history and treated as an oppressed minority. The second about a group of retirees who play a magical game that makes them young again. The third story is about a woman who accidentally is drawn into the world of a boy whose wishes come true. And the fourth story revolves around a man who believes his plane flight may be under attack by a malicious creature. All, of course, uh, uh, bookended by a story with uh, 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 with Dan Aykroyd wanting to show us something really scary. I want to show Albert Brooks. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dude, like, I, I felt like watching that first segment, I'm like, I've had this conversation in a car trip, which is one of those things that makes it accessible, where you're like... Especially back in the day, you know, you're, like, driving long distance with people and you're like, we didn't, like, there wasn't, like, let's put it in our iPod. We're listening to what's on the radio. It's like, oh, yeah, and you just converse about whatever. And you both sing along to whatever happens to be on the radio. And uh, it felt so real that it's such a great start to this movie, that, that moment of, like, punching in like that. And I, even though it's, like, that mini segment... I remember seeing this the first time and genuinely not being ready for it to come back around and be a framing ending, which is so nice because there's not really the sense that they're framing it. 
when it comes back around, it just feels like, oh, it's the end of the fourth segment. And having the nice little, like, wah-wah, it's yeah, Dan Aykroyd again. They didn't have uh, a Rod Serling or, or a surrogate. It's a, it's a Burgess Meredith is the well, voice does, of Rod Serling. He, he speaks a little bit, but, you know, you didn't have him come out and say, like, you know, you're entering a dimension. They did not do that. No. Right. They, you know, instead they, they opt to have this um, little tag at the beginning and end that sets all that up. But uh, I, I'm i surprised how much I really enjoyed rewatching this thing. I haven't seen it in years. And um, I think all four of these have their value. One thing I did not realize that Vic Morrow, who famously died in the first segment, yeah. which was going to be Famously longer, died making the first segment. Yeah. yeah. A helicopter crash that killed him and two children. Uh actually said multiple times ahead of time, I've always had a nightmare about dying in a helicopter crash. I've, I've always, uh, I'm really, and, and said at one point, what's the worst that could happen? It could kill me? Said things like that. Like, it was like very like, oh, that's creepy, learning all that stuff. But yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, that whole helicopter crash was really just, I mean, John Landis got sued. Um, uh, yeah, he was going to go. I mean, they were found not guilty, though. They were. They were um, eventually him right. and the pilot and the other, like, I think the pyrotechnic, because it was a pyrotechnic problem, right? The- no, the, what happened was in that sequence, uh, my understanding is there's a sequence where uh, Vic Morrow, by the way, is Jennifer Jason Lee's dad. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, I did not know that. Made, uh, his character is supposed to run from these helicopters and he picks up two kids and the helicopter, the, exp- the explosion is supposed to be right after the, as the helicopter flies past, one of them went too early because of the way it was done, and um, it went too early and it, it, it hit the uh, back rotor. So the 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 um, the uh, the uh, helicopter spun out and the blades and everything. I, I believe it decapitated. Yeah, it decapitated uh, him. Rick Morrow and yeah. killed the kids. Uh, the kids were also um, not supposed to be there that late. It violated labor laws to... It's just hard to talk about Twilight Zone without talking about this. Yeah, of course. Uh, they violated labor laws um, to have the kids there. Uh, they shouldn't have been there. I don't think their parents even spoke English. Um, so, it's a lot of really sketchy stuff. And they're, you know, and From they were, what I've heard, they drove a dump truck of money up to the parents' house. Yeah, but they straight up like were hiding the parents from the reporter. Like, from people that would be like, hey, the labor law people, they were straight yep. up, I mean, it yeah, was like it nefarious. It is that they had pulled some hanky business, and I don't know that, Landis goes on to make, I think his next movie is Coming to America, mm-hmm. but I don't know that his career ever really recovered. I don't think it did he either. never really, and um, he's made a lot of movies since then, none of them um, no. have any real note yeah. after this, uh, after like maybe Coming to America. Um uh, but but that being said, I think this is a solid sequence. Um, I, it's it's definitely there's a certain extra level of haunting to it because of knowing about all right. that. But it's and all the stuff with the kids is cut out entirely. Yeah, they didn't it's, use it. At all. Uh, um, but this idea of this racist, which feels very today now, like felt like there was a gap where it was like, who still does it? Goes to a bar and says this stuff, right? Maybe in West Virginia, and now it's like, yeah, clearly that is something that actually happens. <laughs> this guy going like, "Fuck you, n words." Yeah. Um, feels very like you could do a modern day version of this, and it would it, it would be aggravating. It's like, true. do you know what it's like to be that person? Like to be like hated regardless. I I, I found this a very affecting segment in today's world to watch again and go, wow, this is, this is, 
deeply creepy. And I do wonder what would have happened because I think the original ending would ended with not him just yeah, him being let off. Himself. He actually became yeah. redeemed and found a way through. But then we get like the feel good segment in the second sequence, Kick the Can. Who directed this one? Do you remember? Uh, Spielberg. Spielberg. Was it Spielberg yeah. on this one? You can't tell. All right, no, because I remember reading it and going, I thought this was Spielberg, and then real, thinking that, oh, wait, no, I read it wasn't. He didn't oh, do this no, one. Did, okay, because it feels the most Spielberg for sure, which is, which to say it feels the most like a sequel to Cocoon, um, <laughs> with a bunch of like really charming old people led by the old people, Angel, uh, Scatman Carruthers. Right, like, yeah. Yeah, I'd give you all of the Mr. shining. You just Mr. take it. He turns them all into little kids again. That I'm, like, Critics hated this sequence when it came out. Like, hated it. I think this is totally fucking it's charming totally as shit. I, I really enjoyed watching it. There's like a, I love the British guy who wants to be a like swashbuckler like Errol Flynn. I'm just like, yeah, that's me if I'd been born in 1923. Um, this is fun, and I love Scatman Carruthers so much. That guy's one of those actors that can do almost anything, and I just find him so eminently watchable. He's just like, oh, you guys, everything's fine. It's just he's the guy you want to be. Your, he's the guy you want to be your grandfather. I think he's like Martin in twenty years. Totally, Martin in twenty years. It's just so utterly charming. There's such a great assortment of great actors, elder actors in this thing that that appear in this that that makes it. Like, not boring at all. It's predictable, sure, but you never don't know where this is going. Hell, you never don't know where any of these are going except for maybe the third segment, which is arguably the best of the, th- of the four. It's a good life. It's so crazy and absurd. Even the original version of this, Nightmares as a Child, scared the shit out of me when I saw it when I was a kid with this kid who's got crazy reality altering powers and in this particular version is like has basically made a family his slaves <laughs> to do whatever he wants it's cake every day for dinner and uh we watch cartoons all the time watching the tasmanian devil come to life was like truly frightening to me as a child like that's something i don't want to ever see happen and uh, the lead actress in this... I, I'm, Kathleen uh, Quinn. Yeah, Kathleen Quinn is so good in this. And that she manages to actually sell a sympathetic ending where she's like... She becomes the Professor X of the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone, the movie. She's like, you have special powers. And I happen to know a guy who runs a school for gifted children. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like that line was about to happen. But, of course, the one everybody talks about is Nightmare on 20,000 Feet, which is the remake of one of the most popular original Twilight Zones episodes of all time that started William Shatner originally, as we said. In this case, John Lithgow with a guy who's sitting on a plane, insists, who's terrified of flying on the plane, and having a, you know, Lithgow just bringing it all out. Just he's he's, he's a Shatnerist. He's, he's a Shatneriest. He's, he's giving his most Shatnerist performance yep. and out Shatner's performance in his performance, quite in my opinion. And he thinks he sees a monster on the plane that has one of the most memorable images in this whole thing where the monster, when he gets sucked out the halfway out the window and the monster puts his hand on his face and then pulls his hand back and gives him the nat nat nah finger wave. That's so fucking great. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed going back and rewatching this movie. By the way, Donna Dixon plays the main airline attendant in here. So cute. Who was married to Dan Aykroyd. Oh. 
who of course is the main actor in the framing sequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was surprised how much I liked this because when I originally saw this in the theater, I had very mixed feelings about it, and partially because I think it scared me in a way that I was young enough. I was like not happy about being scared that much. Coming back to this now, this is maybe the third time I've ever seen it. I really enjoyed the hell out of this thing. It's fun. It's maybe a little overlong. I'll give you that. But it's it, no quite. But they're all colorful. They're all uh, expensively produced. Um, they, I, I don't know. I had a really good time. There's lots of like great performances throughout this thing from everyone in it. Uh, and as I said before, I just love that little like codicil framing device with Ackroyd unexpectedly. As you realize this is a framing device, as him turning around, hey, you want to see something really scary? Which is such a great joke ending. I, I love the shit out of Twilight Zone, the movie. I think it's terrific. Um, I This is like my childhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't even know how to start right now because this is probably one of the movies that was on repeat. Like this movie... And Lost Boys, I think, were the movies that I watched the most when I was a teenager. Um, How could you not, though? I mean, we're talking about Max Landis, which I know that he's... John Landis. I'm sorry, yeah, John Landis. Max Landis is his kid. Um, I know that we're talking about, like... I mean, he's he's done some great work, though. I mean, one of my favorite movies, and we were talking about Masters of Horror earlier... Uh, he did a segment called Family, which was fantastic with John Goodman. I don't know if you guys remember that one. It's, yeah. it's like one of my favorite masters of horror. Um, there, it has Spielberg, for God's sakes. It has George Miller. What? He's like the best. And Joe Dante, who, I mean, you can't, he did Howling, he did Gremlins. Like, who doesn't love Joe Dante? I, think that the first one, Time Out, the helicopter crash, is... I just think that even if there wasn't a helicopter crash, this is a very uncomfortable segment to watch. And I think it was way ahead of its time, as far as our current climate is concerned. Kick the can, I think is probably the... I don't think it's the worst, but I think it's definitely the weakest segment. I... It's feel good. It's typical Spielberg. But I mean, even more so, Ron Howard. Like I said, yeah, feels like that. It, it does. Uh, you're, right, that's yeah. very true. Very, very true. It's just, I mean, it's it it's cute. I don't know if it's it's definitely deserves to be in a horror movie per se. I mean, but it was very or, Twilight Zone. That being said, because they would have episodes like this. Yeah, that were like, it's sci-fi more than horror. It's just like it's sweet. It's a sweet little segment, and it yeah. breaks up the the like really horrible shit that you just saw with the you know the racist segment. Um, it's a good life, and I agree with Chris. This was the one that scared the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know what it was about his sister or quote unquote sister not having a mouth yeah. that like freaked me the fuck out when I was a kid, or being chased by the the cartoons, but or grew up to be the guy from the Matrix. I, <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite parts is where the um, uncle is like, "You're gonna do magic tricks," and he's just like so scared about putting his hand yeah. in the in the top hat. And he's like, because he doesn't know what's going to be in there. And it, I mean, it's just, and then the little kid is like, oh, okay, you're, you're a teacher. Teach me how to be normal. And they're just like, okay. And they like, you know, drive off into the sunset and you're just like, what the fuck just happened? And it had a weird sort of like, um, like 
with the flowers. Like, like, there's such a surrealism to that. Like, are they even in our world anymore? Yeah. Like, it, that I really liked. Like, I that made that you have so point. many questions. Yeah. Like, what happens now? Yeah. Are you even in reality? Like, what's yeah. going... Yeah. Because you don't know. Like, there's that blurred line between reality and, and this world that he's created for himself. And, and then you find out that none of them are actually related to him. These are mm-hmm. all people that he's picked up along the way and forced into this reality. And then he's just like, oh, I'm going to kill them all. Whatever. It's fine. As you do. As you do. It was. I would do. Um, <laughs> nightmare at 20,000 feet. Remind me not to let uh, patients have psychic powers. This time. <laughs> um, nightmare at 20,000 feet. Yeah. I mean, I think John Lithgow is his most Bill Shatner that you... I mean, he... I wouldn't say... I don't do like John Lithgow in certain roles. Like, I'm the only person... Okay. Just mark my words. Right now. I do like Ricochet, which stars Denzel Washington. Oh, boy. And John Lithgow is the villain. And I like him in that. But otherwise, I'm not really... I don't Dude, think season John... season four, Dexter. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I, I didn't make it that far. But I don't think that John Lithgow is like a superb actor. Yeah, I don't agree. Wow. Yeah, I don't I mean, agree he's, I think what he are does... What talking he, I mean, John he, Lithgow? He yeah. does great, like... Don't agree at all. ...comedy, but as like a serious actor... This is like an objective truth. God, am I a Summer's brother like right now? Um, or am I a Summer's sister? I don't know. I mean, I agree. He's great at comedy. Like, that. he's on that show. What is it? Trial by Jury or whatever it is? Trial and Error. Trial and Error. Uh, uh, the sitcom that's a parody of like like real crime stuff that's he the first season he's so funny on but like I said you watch season four Dexter or Raising Cain or something like that and you're like oh my god you are a fucking terrifying or actor when you want to be Ricochet he was fantastic oh I did like Cliffhanger I forgot about Cliffhanger I do or, like Cliffhanger hey, you forgot about Cliffhanger Cliffhanger didn't forget about you fine laugh while you can monkey boy I did like Cliffhanger <laughs> No, fuck you if you say fuck that movie. No, I absolutely hate Buckaroo Bonsai. Well, you're wrong. I'm not wrong. wrong. I am right. That was it. Do we have to keep doing a podcast with patients? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) You're kicked out, patients. You're gone. Screamers, unite. Back me up here. You guys don't like Buckaroo Bonsai. No one podcast is going to back you up. No one one is going to back you up. I guarantee you I'll have at least one person that will back me up. One person. And we'll shun that person, too. So enjoy yourselves, your little two-party Buckaroo Bonsai. I know. And then they'll end it with a hashtag Trump 2020. Oh, <laughs> oh, damn it. That's enough. We're just going to talk about Buckaroo Bonsai. Oh, for the fuck rest of the off. <laughs> um, I, oh, I don't want to talk about Buckaroo Bonsai. No, but A Nightmare in 20,000 Feet. And another thing I liked about Buckaroo Bonsai. Right? And this has just turned into the Why Buckaroo Bonsai is Amazing podcast. I hate all of you. Um, Feelings mutual. <laughs> uh, I think I agree with Chris that the reason why Nightmare at 20,000 Feet is as terrifying as as it is, is because I'm also afraid of flying. Mm-hmm. And I just, I hate, I mean, that would just be like my worst nightmare. Otherwise, I, how could you not love this movie? I mean, this is like, this is an anthology standard. When you think of horror anthology, the first one you're going to think of is Twilight Zone, the movie. And um, It's a Good Life is my favorite, and it's I, it scared me. Fair enough. When I was a kid. What about you? What about the Summers Brothers? What are the Summers Brothers? Where are you going to shoot us down? Are you going to shoot us down? Uh, You've been very quiet, so I feel like you are about to say this movie's. Talk about he, they're going to use the word junkie at some point because <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's what they do. <laughs> so another thing I liked about Bucker Monster—he's <laughs> <laughs> trying to win me back. Um, uh, 
I, I will say this about this this film. It, it does, in, in a way, it misses Rod Serling. I, I mean, I think you do realize how important Rod Serling was to, to what is so successful about the original Twilight Zone series, why it's so influential. Um, so his presence, I think, is a giant hole in the middle of this movie and every iteration of the, the Twilight Zone since. Um, uh, on on the, the Brooks and, and Aykroyd segment, um, I... You know, I, I suppose it was probably really scary when you were a little kid, and the first time you see him turn around. That that I could see that that would have been very scarring. Um, and one of the things I liked about that segment that I think that the reason that I thought it traveled really well was that it has that idea of the meta pop culture that the characters are talking about, movies and TV that you know about that you have watched in, in a way that you have experienced them. So the fact that it starts with them, like, was that an Outer Limits episode? Was that a Twilight thing? It's it's almost sort of something that, that later people like Tarantino and, and, and Brian Michael Bendis and those kinds of people took up as this idea of, like, that that's what helps you relate to these characters, that they've seen all the same movies and, and TV shows that you had. So um, I really like that. Um, I do want to say this about that segment. It almost makes no sense. I have no idea who these people are. I have no idea kind of where they're going or what they're doing, why they're in the car together, because they seem like they're friends, but then they also seem like they've never sort of met each other. Like, what is happening in this car? Yeah. I, I, it, it, because they, And they don't want to address that because they just want to have the little scare. So I thought that was a, a problem yeah, with it. That's um, a really good point. Uh, <laughs> the, the Landis segment uh, clearly um, tainted... So, obviously, you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt. Um, but uh, it's it's the only one that, that's not a remake, and I, I don't know if that's one of the reasons that I felt Landis had really gotten its sort of the same things that, that Serling was getting at that, that really made uh, the original Twilight Zone so great, is that they while they ended up at times obviously being scary, there really was something that he was trying to get at, like food for thought. And, and I felt like, um, as, as you guys mentioned as well, it, it's strange that I think even if you rewatched this movie three or four years ago, I don't think this would have been as resonant of a segment as it is right now. And it, it Landis had really picked up on something. He picked up uh, on a thread of something that was really powerful and important. And I do think that... This segment really um, delivers on that. This proto-Trump voter, angry white guy, um, and so that's something that I think was very you know Twilight Zoney. Um, I really loved the Klan guy catching on fire. I thought that was awesome, <laughs> yeah. and I thought that was a, a very perfect John Landis moment. It sort of blends comedy, it blends stunts, and it blends you know. Sticking it to the Ku Klux Klan, which he did also in like and the John Larroquette. John Larroquette is in that. Oh, that's John right! I forgot about that. Yeah. and was barely in it. I mean, he just sort hard of to believe that guy crazy. never went to the next level. He was always that great television actor, and I was always everyone expected uh, he dude, was. Night gonna, Court is my jam. Everyone always expected he was going to go on to be like a big movie actor. Like I remember at the time, like night, he won the Emmy every year. For Night Court, it was because he was that good. And it was like, yeah, it's just a matter of time before this guy becomes a big movie actor, and it never happened. Yeah. 
Well, uh, as uh, I just wanted to say, um, you know, in as much as I can give credit to a piece of filmed entertainment that needlessly killed people, I did think it was a particularly well done uh, segment. Uh, the kick the can segment is it sort of plays into the, the worst aspects of Spielberg. It's sort of cloyingly sentimental. I I liked all the actors. I'm not sure why he picked this one. I, I it's so it, it's. My understanding is he wanted to do something else, but after the Landis thing, he just wanted to make something quick. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know one of the ones he talked about was the monsters on Maple Street. Which oh, is that's a, a good truly one. great uh, Twilight Zone, and I think it would have been really great to see in this movie um, and to see Spielberg do it. So I think that's sort of too, too bad. You know, I think it's a it's a kind of a shrug, although it is probably the best directed of all four of them. It's also, like, because it's in there, it's more representative of a movie version of the show, because which would regularly have episodes like that in it. Well, I, I, I the thing I wanted to say about it was it felt like Spielberg's heart was not really in it, mm. which I think is why it's so technically proficient, because that was something he gave to it. Um, I, okay, so the Dante one, uh, what, what's, what's the name of it? I can't remember. Um, it's 20? a good life. Oh, it's a good life. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, it's nice to see a young Kathleen Quinlan. I think we usually think of her as somebody's mom or sure. uh, something like that or somebody's wife. And she's she's very young and lovely and she's really well cast in this. Um, the cartoons they're watching, uh, were they created for the... I think so. They, yeah, I they look so. terrible. They, they don't look like real cartoons. I don't know why... Um, you would watch them. Uh, so that sort of leads me into the main thing with this, which is, um, and it's sort of a weird criticism, but it bothered me, which is, this is obviously written by a guy who grew up in the 1950s. And I feel like it's his version of childhood. It's like, yeah. you know, these, these like Tex Avery cartoons and like this, like this sort of sitcom family and this sitcom house and that's what a kid in the 50s would want. And look, Ma, I get to eat terrible food all the time, and it's candy and ice cream. And I think this kid is growing up in, like, 1982, 1983. He would want Star Wars toys and, like, his own personal Epcot Center. And, you know, like... Um, Was there Epcot Joe Center toys? about that time? Okay, Chris is going to take me literally. But anyway, I, I don't know. I'm just curious. I, was like, I didn't mean to question the, you critis- the, critically. The point is, is that I feel like it's like this idea of, like, this is this does not feel like a real little kid yeah. from from that time, and that kind of took me out. He of would want his own beat the bishop video game. He would. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Um, I would say. Well, I mean, I would want a millennium. I just Falcon, think if you were refer back kid, to the previous episode, I, I mean, if you were a little kid who is literally the most powerful force on earth, I don't think these are the things you would want. Um, I, I did love the idea when you re- they have that amazing term. You realize it's not his family. It's these people that are being held prisoners. And that was, like, super creepy and weird. Um, also, a uh, fun fact, the girl with no mouth is uh, Sherry Curry, who is the lead singer of The Runways. Oh. Uh, no shit. No shit. And I was, like, super excited. And then she's, like, in it for that no shot, that really famous shot. And that, that's kind of it's it. the most famous shot that's, probably in the movie. That's um, fucking deep cut, Russ. Uh, here, here's the Good job, lesson. Russ. Uh, thank you. Uh, here's the main lesson I want to take away from this, which is uh, don't be nice to kids. I mean, obviously, this is where you'll end. They might have psychic powers. They, they might. And you might get decapitated by a helicopter. Um, so, uh, terror at blah, blah, blah. Or, uh, a nightmare at 20,000 feet. Um, probably the most, I would say it's almost the most famous of any of these Twilight Zone segments. Definitely um, is. And it's, 
it does deliver on what you want. Um, it's it's a little histrionic and kind of over the top, um, but it does have. I think it has such a strong premise. It's such a strong, simple, straight ahead premise, and it plays into that. I really like the creature. The creature was awesome. Um, so and it, it you know it aged really well. You know, this is one of those movies you can always make an argument why CGI is not as good as practical effects. True. Um, I think the movie, I think I read that the movie really wasn't that big of a hit. It didn't do particularly well, which is not how I remember it because I think all of us remember it as a pretty influential movie. Um, as we've said, like, I think it, it, it really is a movie people remember and, and has sort of become this iconic movie from the 80s, if not quite. At the level as, as other films, or yeah, it was but. not. It was uh, ten million to make. It only made twenty nine million. Oh wow! So, but it's you know, it's a good looking, slick piece of you know Hollywood entertainment, um, which has obviously a somewhat you know disturbing history. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was certainly one of the ones that I was looking forward to rewatching the most because I knew I was going to be entertained. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, Bobster, uh, I think this was one of the more watchable. Uh, movies that we that we picked, like it was very easy to just sit down and watch this one. Sure, uh, way more than you know. Obviously, Quaden or it didn't take much focus, right? I mean, it's right. a it's a fun, giant, entertaining movie like you would expect, and um, uh, I think that the multiple directors um, keep it. Uh, you know, they're I mean, you're talking John Landis, Joe Dante, George Miller, George Miller, and Steven Spielberg, like. These are these guys like outside of like Lucas, like they basically shaped the eighties, yep. you know, and what we watch. Um, they, you know, what they do and touch and are involved in, you know, is what's is what everybody else kind of imitates. Um, so it's interesting they're all in this movie. I don't think this movie quite lives up to the premise of that, um, you know, or the promise, I guess, of of those guys all making a movie together, especially one based on of all things the Twilight Zone. Um, this is uh, this movie is indelible though. It is hard to forget. There are images in this movie. You know, do you want to see something really scary? Um, the you girl know, with no mouth. The girl with no mouth. The rabbit you know, the, coming out of the hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rabbit and the and the and the um, you know, obviously the thing on the wing and um, I just think it's very memorable. Just uh, the do do you want to see something really scary yeah, in and yeah, of itself? Just, just yeah. what that is. So I think it's really good. Uh, like Russ was talking about, I enjoyed. We had a big debate about the beginning and the meta-ness of it, and Landis being really kind of ahead of the curve on that, the idea that they're talking about the movie that you're watching. And there isn't a lot of that in... Although, I think, you know, House of Drip Blood's kind of on to that, but not in a not in a way that Landis is, like, bald-faced talking about the fucking Twilight Zone, you yeah. know? Um, but it's fun. It's a neat... It is a neat intro. The, you know, obviously, I mean, it's... Dan Aykroyd and Albert Brooks in a car together singing Credence. Like, I was like, wow. Like that's. Really I wish cool. I was in that car. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. And it's, you know, and um, and they're really funny. It's fun to watch them, uh, you know, because they don't just name check. They name check, like, a bunch of pop culture, you know. And this implication of, like, their world is our world. And, and that, you know, I think that there's always that idea to the Twilight Zone of where the world that we're in, you, you cross a line. And you're in this other world. You're in the fun house, which is, I think, what the Twilight Zone kind of is. So it's a neat intro. I, like Russ said, the context of it, if you think... I, I had not... It's interesting how powerful and entertaining it is. I had never occurred to me that shit that you're saying. You don't want a question. Right. I don't right. think I really thought about it. But you, there's that weird thing. Like, is he a hitchhiker? I'm just saying that's what's going on. Like a so. hitchhiker you picked up or like a guy in a diner and he's going to ride. Um, 
But, uh, you know, Brooks also toys with the dark side. He turns off, literally, turns off the lights in the car, and they drive out the lights for a second. It's kind of neat. Um, but it's a, it's a, it is an interesting intro, especially considering they don't use the Rod Sterling coming out and telling you, like, welcome to the fucking Twilight Zone. Um, and <laughs> Who the, was, the, in fact, dead at this point. Well, I know, but that idea of a surrogate, it seems that, you know, somebody would have thought, we need something like that, and they don't. Uh, the first segment with Landis, uh, Ross had said it's 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 pretty pretty prescient. It it was very striking. Um, that is very very. I terrifying. was really blown away by what it was getting at, and um, that it was you know this segment in this Twilight Zone movie. The other segments are not like that. They're very much. Uh, you know, these kind of, like, little ghost stories, whatever, and this one was like, holy crap, like, they're really, you know, socially up to something, and the idea, and, um, and I think that the staging of it's pretty, I thought, I did not remember really, like, that he, he you know, the Nazis sort of start to track him, mm-hmm. and his reaction to it, and then his feeling in, in Vietnam, and, um, and, uh, but I, I really, really enjoyed it, and the movie, that part of the movie when he's in the bar it is not afraid to make you incredibly uncomfortable I was very uncomfortable yeah watching him continue to spew all this like hateful hateful shit yeah it's awful and uh it's Anna and then Stephen is it Stephen Miller is that his name who's the guy that stands up and says like you may need to calm down it's the it's X from the X-Files oh yeah and uh 20 Jump Street he's oh. great um but uh yeah I was really and I was saddened by the tragedy that enveloped it and you know, just even in the smallest sense that, like, it, it was a really good story, and I wish it had probably ended the way they meant to end it. Um, kick the Can, for those of you that don't know much about blocking or whatever, it's, it, blocking in most movies is invisible. It's the where you position actors in relation to the camera. And how they move. And then how they right? move in relation to the camera as the camera moves and stuff. Um, Steven Spielberg is the undisputed unarguably the master of doing that. If you are a person who makes movies, he it is... And not calling attention to it. It's, it's so beautiful the way he stages his scenes. I, I mean, uh, just as a side note, the ne- watch a Steven Spielberg movie turn off the sound. Not even for a big scene, a scene where characters talk to each other. And see what where, how the camera moves, where the, where the actors move around. It's astonishing. It is. No movies are quite as deft as he is. And, um... I think I really enjoyed this movie because Spielberg is such a, a master of of that, and you you know really understanding how movies kind of work. And so I, I like that. I think this story is a little goofy. It's a little sappy, um, and it, it really like you know the especially when it gets to little kids. It's really overactive. Maybe you haven't just discovered the child inside you, you Robin. Scat Man's one of the kids, like... Is that Scat That's scat my Scat Man. That's the best as I can do. Scat Man Rex. pretty bad. Uh, but, Sorry. But I, I uh, you know, he, he has, you know... The, the, the kids are like, you know, the kids are like, I'm a pirate, and today is the greatest day ever, and let's eat chalk. And I'm like, this is really stupid. Um... <laughs> Let's eat chalk. But that's what it feels like. like. And, they're, and they're wearing, like, the clothes. Yeah, and, they, and, 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 I, and I, they're, they're really, you know, they're really playing up the sort of, like, I'm the loud la- old lady. But, but I'm in a little the, kid's body. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I was like, I love especially the, like, really Jewish but couple. It's like, Harold. But I, liked, <laughs> but I liked the message of the movie, especially the beginning part when they're all sort of sad about what they've missed. And I like to dance. And Scavin's like, I, I wish I could have seen you dance and stuff. I loved all that. Um, uh, I you know, and they had the neat thing again. Spielberg, a master, and he looks out the window and he sees the guy with his family, and and he says like you know they, he always waits for he always thinks he's going to get to go and he doesn't get to go with his family and stuff. They always leave him in the rest home. I loved all that stuff. Um, 
uh, and I like the message of it, but again, it's it's a little cutesy. The the third one um, is it, it is a, a weird segment. It's it's genuinely kind of unsettling, and I think Dante kind of loves that. He loves her stuff to be this like childish world that's filled with utterly horrific and bizarre shit. You know, it's like you watch um, you know uh, Gremlins, and it's like this Capra esque. You know, beautiful little town, and it's Christmas, and then, like, fucking monsters, you know, overtake everything, and not, like, they look cute, and they're fucking horrifying, like, they, like, kill people and rip things apart, so I like that element to this movie, um, it's a little much, it's, again, like, played a little broad and a little silly, but it is, I think, to its credit, that's also, the fakiness of it feels uh, weird and upsetting. And it's hard to get over the shot of the sister without the mouth. It it's happens. creepy. That's it's creepy a really as fuck. Amazing. It, it, it's a total that cherry is the bomb one of a thing scene. Everybody remembers this movie, <laughs> and it, it's so beautifully done because it's just done with the cut. And I think you start to realize like this is not okay. Um, so I really like that. Uh, uh, yeah, I liked it. I like the you know, and it's it's okay. I think it, it probably goes on a little long. It's it's a bit loud, but it's good. Miller's segment, I see why it's the most famous. Um, it's a little overwrought. It's it is a little. It is also still a little broad. I think everybody's kind of playing to the Raptors or whatever. Except for there's the pilot who tries to calm Lithgow down, and I love that guy. Do you remember him? And he says like, "No, tell what you saw." Okay, and we're all safe. Whatever. And he's really calm. I love that moment. Um, I, I do like it. It's a bit much that he's out on the wing shooting him and stuff. But again, it's you know it's played sort of big. Uh, I, I see why it resonates with everybody. The primal fear of being on a plane and the utter lack of control. You're in this incredibly precarious position, and that you know you know something's wrong and no one will listen to you. I see why that one gets you more than the other ones. It's just it's a really great idea for a story. And Miller does a pretty good job. He does a lot of neato camera tricks and stuff like that. Um, Overall, like I would say, this is upper echelon of the stuff we watch, just because it's very entertaining, even despite its flaws and there are big ones. It's you know, it's Certainly. big. It's you know, it's it's directed by guys who know how to tell stories. No one would call this a flawless film by any stretch. No, any one of the segments is and, not flawless. And, and to a certain extent, its eightiesness is part of what makes it endearing. Yeah, um, true. That being said, um, yeah, and I liked it. Uh, you know. The 80s, you know, they made the Twilight Zone in the 80s, the TV show, I watched a lot of that. And then they also made the, the other Twilight Zone, like Force Whitaker and like the early Dude, that yeah. 80s, that, that, the, the uh, 80s Twilight Zone was pretty fucking good. There were some good episodes of that. Remember the one with, uh, what's his name from Sanford and Son? Uh, uh, or not Sanford and Son, the Jeffersons. Where oh, he was dealing Jesus. with, like, he was a physics professor and he was dealing with like the devil. Do you remember that one? I'm sure. Um, so it was a, it was one played for last, but I still remember that being like, oh my god, that was so awesome. Was, where it was like, monsters. where it was like the yeah. run was like the devil's like, you tell me three things I can't do, and I can do anything, I will do it. Like you, you get th- or you get three chances. You give me one thing I can't do, and I'm the devil. I can do anything. And he goes, get lost. <laughs> was the the kicker, and yeah. it was like, fuck, I, I, I can't in fact do that. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a good. I mean, there were some good episodes of that. Probably more unsettling. There, I definitely remember some unsettling episodes. Yeah. I, I go into detail, but I won't waste every time of that. But di- I, I did like Twilight Zone. Um, I'm still I'm still debating uh, where I where I liked it compared to the other ones. But yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to get past. What was your favorite segment, Bob? 
Man, I, I thought about that. I think the first one. Really? I think okay. it just, it struck me in such a way that there was more of a, I mean, obviously the fourth one's entertaining and fun and, and it, it's successful, but there's something about that one, like Russ said, that is to me what the Twilight Zone is. It's Burgess Meredith, it's breaking hard to watch. and, you know, stuff like, well, well, Chris, what was your favorite? Uh, the fourth one. Yeah. Uh, I think the third one's the scariest one for me even now, but the fourth one is still like, it's just a perfect little bit of like, we know exactly what's going to happen. It's really well produced. It's fun to watch. It's Lithgow at its best. It's just, it's just fun. It, it never has a point where you're like, why was that there? You're just like, no, this all works. It's tight. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. With Rob, the, the first one, uh, probably just because of the context, but just, I think it's amazing that to, to see Landis's ideas reach across decades, and 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 I think that you know as as we said that that's what the the best episodes of the, the Twilight Zone did. So. Guys, we're mm-hmm. in like forty minutes for this episode for oh. this particular movie up three, wow. so we should probably move to the next okay. one. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, I would no. definitely go with Dante. The It's third a Good one. Life, yeah, okay. the third Fair one. For, All right, so sure. our next one is the 1985 film Cat's Eye, the yeah. anthology based on Stephen King short stories that included a new one that Stephen King wrote to uh, tie up the film's uh, framing devices. But Patience, why don't you give us a synopsis? Um, as your Stephen King fanatic, I pushed for this movie pretty hard, but a stray cat, who is our framing device, interweaves through the three tales written by Stephen King. And the first, a man finds the company helping him quit smoking using uses dangerous methods he can't escape from. And the second, a tennis pro, makes a deadly wager with the husband of the wife he's sleeping with. And in the third, a small troll secretly attacks a child at night. All played by Drew Barrymore. And the first two are from Night Shift, which was Stephen King's first short story collection. And and, and some would argue still his best. And he wrote the third one specifically for this. He did. Um, And probably Drew Barrymore. uh, But this had a big cast. I will say... Big thumbs up to a movie where a cat is the hero, but uh, I I did who the first... does not look like monkey whatsoever. He looks totally like he's monkey. monkey. But uh, I did the review for the first one starting off, the last one starting off. So Rob, yeah, um, I would overall uh, this one. I'd seen this one. I mean, I'd seen this one a bunch of times, like you know. Um, and I uh, I think it's pretty. I still think it holds up. It's pretty entertaining. Uh, kind of goofy, but uh, you know. Um, the framing device with the cat uh, works. I don't know that it sings or anything, but it's good uh, for what it is. I think Quitters Inc. is fun, although I have to say, did anyone else understand, like, do you pay them? How does the... It's a, yeah, it's a mob run Yeah, obviously the idea that, they're, that, they're, that, they're, that they, there's an implication that they're the mob and that the mob... Not even an implication. They okay, pretty yeah, much the flat mob, out They've say taken it. their mob yeah. tactics and applied them to making people quit I smoke. feel like you clearly pay them. But but he never... Like, he goes in there, and they've already started. He didn't, like, sign anything or, like, give him a check. Like, yeah. all of a sudden, they just... The moment like, you step in the door of the office, it's on. They're harassing him, but at that point, I thought, like, but then do they pay? Like, do you pay for this service? I'm pretty sure they get you to pay. Yeah, they'll take the card out of your wallet if they have okay. to. Yeah. Uh, They're that, the mob. That just seemed a little... I don't know. The payment thing seemed a little... Um, He's yeah. worried about the proficiency. Well, it didn't make sense. That, so, I is it like, Venmo? I, I don't never know. Pay for that service? Well, because you know, once they start going, but um, <laughs> overall, uh, uh, Woods is good. Not my favorite is definitely the second one. The second one is the best one. Yeah. It's a great, great short story and short film. Um, how it pays off, and then I think the 
the interweaving of the cat, just how the cat sort of pays off that he tricks the guy with the gun or whatever. I love that. Uh, but the walk around the building was great. And and I thought Harrowing and, and uh, Hayes is really good. I love the lead. Uh, he, he's the guy from Airbnb. Robert Hayes, yeah. Yeah, man. I, I'm he was con- fantastic. Always surprised that that guy's career didn't go on to bigger and, and better things. Fun fact, married to Sherry Curry. The oh, chick from oh, the runaways? Whoa. Oh, wow. We Look just bring it all together. We just man. went full fucking circle right that now. Is, it's going to be really funny for Trinity. He was just making up all the shit off the top of his head. I believe Russ. I believe Russ. The last one with the troll, I think, is probably the weakest one. Oh, it's, definitely. It's so literal and it's so goofy. Um, I will say. The trolls' close-ups are kick-ass. Dude, I love that they did the mix of, like, there's a little bit of stop-motion animation, but mainly it's creating big stuff yeah. with an actor in a suit to right. run around. And, 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 then the, yeah, the, and the mask is really great. I think there's one or two where it has to interact with Drew Barrymore. You can tell is um, you know, an optical effect. Yeah, green screen. But yeah. other than that, I, it's it's pretty good. Um, but overall, kind of a dopey story. And, and um, you know, it, it's just... The other ones are more like good, like good little horror stories, and that one it's just it's just so it's like labyrinth or something. It's very goofy. Um, so, but overall, I would say this and Twilight Zone may be the two most easy to watch of the six that we picked. Very digestible. Like I was just like I just like plowed through. I thought that um, we, I don't remember which version we watched, but it looks nice too. Like this movie's been well preserved. It, it doesn't. You know, it's older, but I still really enjoy it. It holds up. Yeah. And I just think also it only had three stories and they all went pretty quick. So I was, you know, I, I like that. Uh, yeah, it's good. Uh, this one's, I think it's just a solid flick, you know, and uh, maybe not scary, but like I said, I think the one with Hayes having to walk that ledge is really harrowing. And they do a good job selling the physics of it. Like, it's kind of hard to always convey visually, like, what it is to walk along it, you know, like the sheer surface and this tiny thing. And, and I think you just do a really good job. It's really that. selling you the degree to which birds suck and are evil. Um, <laughs> Pigeons, particularly. Yeah, right. uh, this movie, by the way, just real quick, directed by uh, Louis, Louis Teague. Teague, who directed uh, Cujo. And I think, and I guess there's a nod to Cujo at the beginning, which is stupid. Well, there's but. several nods to Stephen King's movie. Oh, yeah, I'm going to talk about those, those nods. Yeah. But, uh, Overall, I'm kind of surprised no one else has done a Stephen King anthology movie. It seems like a no-brainer to do another one of these with some multiple directors. I think that'd be a really cool uh, flick. So, anyways, that's my take on Cat's Eye. Uh, I think uh, if you haven't seen Cat's Eye, this this podcast, I think you might kind of dig it. It's fun. It's weird that it's only three segments for an anthology. That's not the usual length. But you know. I think that works in its favor. So. Um, and not to mention that I feel like some of the most successful Stephen King uh, books are his anthologies. I feel like yeah. he has so many great because Beautiful he can things, sell the short ships, stories, whereas opposed, yeah, his like big long novels. I think that that's a good point. I, I think that he, what, he he's really good with the central idea of his stories, and and I think like mo- maybe some of his most successful movies are not novels; they're based on the short stories, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, or novellas or whatever. So, it's Russ. What do you think? Uh, well, first of all, this movie starts with a cat's eye. Just so, uh, you know, <laughs> so you get it. Uh, you guys have mentioned this, the Cujo and Christine and Dead Zone references. Whatever. Um, the directions for this film is slightly workmanlike. Um, 
But it's uh, teak style. It's teak. You know, I mean, it's it's not gonna blow anybody away. But it, it functions as as far as uh, telling the story. Um, I love how uh, at the beginning Drew Barrymore calls out to the cat in the store window, oh, and okay. um, and all I thought was, um, it, it's a cat. So only in the movies would that cat give a damn about <laughs> you. Um, uh, Reminds me of the cartoon of like there was a thing where like the kid fell in the well. I think it was a Far Side. Where he's like, "Hey, hey, go get help!" And then the cat's sleeping on the porch, and it dodges <laughs> right, exactly. just skeleton that's in the well. Like that um, uh, that's it. I, I, th- I think this is the most successful framing device of any of the movies with the cat. They re- it was a really cool idea that it threaded through there. Um, uh, so Quitters Inc., the um, the James Woods one. I, I just wanted to um, uh, say this real quick as as somebody who has actually gone through this uh, as a business owner. Um, it should really be Quitters LLC. Yeah. You really need to, to switch that up. You really <laughs> want to be able to learn from the really That's a criticism. 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 Um, All right. Uh, Woods, James Woods in Quitters Inc., he really sells that role. Almost... He elevates almost the entire story just by his very presence. Um, uh, I, I just Alan King's great. Uh, Alan King is great, but uh, but James Woods. Both these guys playing roles that are easy for them to play. And, like and, Alan King plays this type of role all the time, and James Woods is in fact a total fucking prick. Well, yeah, so, okay, so, so James Woods is a, a prick, or he has become a, a right wing nut job. And it is, I think, a true tragedy because he's one of my favorite actors. He was in so many great movies Video in drum. the eighties, and he's and he's. Best this seller. is right dead set in the middle of his the prime of his film career, and I think that it's. it's Wait, hold on, Rob. Did you call a bestseller? Yeah, hell yeah, I love yeah, that. So and, and True Believer, which oh. is my favorite James Woods role, um, which is only a few years after this. Um, I, I did. Um, I did want to say I, I love the moment in Quitters Inc. where Woods first goes into the lobby and there's the, the guy who's just freaking out, like kind of quietly freaking out in the corner. And, and you have this weird feeling from, from the character's POV of like something is happening here. And you're not understanding it because you're only sort of getting the tip of the iceberg. So Stephen King. And I loved it. I, I love that moment. I love moments like that um, in, in a movie. Uh the middle story, it's funny because it was so great and it was the one I, I did not remember. I remembered wow. Quitter's Inc. and I remembered the, the little troll, but having seen this before, I did not remember uh, the Robert Hayes story. And it was really good. I mean, it was just, yeah. it was kind of everything. It was good. It was suspenseful. Um, and it was um, funny. You're rooting for this character. You're enjoying his revenge. And, and sure. Hayes and, yeah, because Hayes and Journey are so well cast. Yeah. They're, they're really, really great. Um. The last story, which is obviously sort of, I think, oddly the most sort of memorable story from here. Um, where does the troll get his little hat and knife from? Like, is there like a <laughs> and by the way, why does the knife keep changing size yeah, during the length well, of the Well, keeps changing size. In this, and I, I just want to say, um, why is it set in Wilmington, North Carolina? I love you. Is there like a strange, like... <laughs> Because they have a big, infestation. Yeah. In, there's a giant troll problem. Patients, don't move, move to to uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, it's not the tree branches. I hear Alex trolls. Jones is moving there. I just yeah, want to yeah. say that when re- when you know that restaurants are coming, he like puts up his hand and he squints his eyes and he just goes for it. And you can see that right now. Well, I just, I just, what, what's with the trolls being in Wilmington, North Carolina? I don't know. It's really strange. Um, 
Also, uh, yes, look, somebody just needs to tell that neighborhood's HOA that there's a <laughs> troll problem localized in the neighborhood. Uh, the poor troll guy, he just wants some breath. I, I felt really bad for him. <laughs> you know, he's got his own thing going on, and we're all fucking with it. Um, I really like the troll. I thought the troll was really neat. Um, Considering they did pull it off. Yeah. Uh, uh, and very more super annoying, so I was sort of rooting for him to steal her breath. <sighs> Um, but I do think the tone of it is so weird. It never gels. I'm not sure how to take it. Uh, uh, and, and honestly, the movie itself is more... I think there's not really... For it being a Stephen King thing, the movie itself doesn't really have any horror. It's more suspense than than horror. Uh, but that said, Cat's Eye, very entertaining. Goes down really easy and uh, and held up pretty well, I thought, for what it is. So it doesn't. I don't know that it aspires to much, but I think it succeeds on what it's trying to do, and that's what you want for for a movie like this. So that's it, guys. Um. Well, I push pretty hard for this movie, and that's just because you I have to push hard. We I love. To I want. I love Stephen King. You guys know this about me by now. Um. And Louis Teague did direct Cujo, but he also directed Jewel of the Nile, which and Navy Seals. <laughs> Neither one of which is worth watching. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, you don't like Jewel of the Nile? No, it's not. I love romancing the stone. Jewel of the Nile's garbage. All right, that's fair enough. About this. Jewel that's of the Nile enough. made more money than romance. It did, but that was often true for sequels. But effectively killed the, the franchise. Yeah, it did. Thanks, Louis, because um, it's garbage. Unlike the Summers Brothers, I actually liked the Stephen King shoutouts. I feel like this was like maybe one of the very first meta sort of little hinting at meta films that I've seen. And I mean, it's it's eighty five because I think by that point King was a household name. Yep. So you could put that in there, and everybody who watched the movie would sort of be like, oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, we, it starts off with Cujo. I mean, unmistakably, Cujo's chasing Monkey around. Monkey? Uh, yeah, poor Monkey, who almost gets hit by Christine. For those who don't know, Monkey is Chris's cat. Oh, I think they all know, know by Monkey now. Is. One of my just three cats. people going, why is Cujo chasing a monkey? And then there's, like, this really great scene with James Wood in Quitter's Inc. where he's watching Dead Zone, and he's like, who writes this stuff and it, I thought that oh, was just like a really I thought it was a cute moment I mean you have to think 85 this is it's long. kind of a junkie anthology it's, it's like it's full of nods it's yeah. like yeah exactly. whatever if you, I'd rather them be in this type of film than a one King film, you know, uh, and like, then, like one story film. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's this point where uh, James Woods goes to give his uh, development, developmentally disabled daughter, who's in a special needs school, a Cabbage Patch doll at a St. Stephen's school for the gifted. I don't know if you guys caught that. Or as in that. Stephen King. No, I so, get it. I get yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't know. But I'm bummed. But I didn't catch it. Come on, stop it. The I East- didn't miss it either. Yeah, exactly. Um, as far as the movie itself goes, I liked the Easter eggs. Shut up. I'm a Stephen King fan. So I that's the only reason why I watch Castle Rock is for the Easter eggs. Uh, Quitters, Inc., I thought was pretty... I mean, as a former cigarette smoker... I feel like that was pretty right on. Like, quitting cigarettes was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And then, like, um, yeah, I'll risk my, I'll, I'll, I'll risk shot losses pinky for a cigarette, maybe. I don't, probably. I mean, I related to, 
as a former smoker, I related to the to the need to do it, and I related to the chick who goes to go get it in nightmares because they both have right. They're, yeah, exactly. The idea that you would just go and do some you would risk everything to get a cigarette like if you're an addict like that if you smoke cigarettes like you would totally think like this is perfectly reasonable it's yeah I'm gonna go out when there's a serial killer and go get stuff or I will try and smoke in this car even though they might put my wife in a uh, room where she'll be electrocuted yep I agree with you on the ledge I think is the one that really that one I think is absolutely the best segment um first of all being afraid of heights that I couldn't even watch half of this and I've seen this probably 20 times and I still can't watch the part where he's on the fucking ledge like it freaks me the hell out especially when um wait like, can I ask a quick question just this just occurred to me uh the guy who is making him walk the ledge that's that's the guy that plays Baron Harcourt on in Dune right no oh this is Charles Durning are you sure I could be wrong. Can it's we look, not Alan King, though. I'll tell you that much. Let's look yeah. this up real quick. I, I, I that's fine. You thought, and I apologize. No, that's totally okay. Um, that one's definitely. I, I seriously, I just have a hard time watching it. It freaks me the fuck out. Like walking on this, and and the way that he describes it, he's like, "There's a five inch ledge underneath you, and maybe you know." And then when he gets across the other side, and it's all windy and shit, like, and then he blasts him with a hose. Because he rests. I mean, this whole thing just freaked me out from beginning to end. And then I won't. I guess I won't spoil the end. Uh, okay. Um, uh, well, I we're all about spoilers. I am totally wrong. Rob was correct. About and what? That that was that actor. Uh, the guy is he uh, is Kenneth McMillan from Dune. Is the is the bad guy from Dune? Oh, the guy oh, oh I thought you were saying shit. Alan King was. I'm no, sorry. No, I'm sorry. King's not My mistake. That's Alan amazing. King and Dune. I was like, what? Awesome. <laughs> What do we need? We need all the spice over here? What is this? Why are you guys doing all the so spice? So he was the one in the, the thing, in the, the life. suit. You know what else is alive? This steak. This steak. There's my son over here. He's Sting. I don't know what the hell. He's got a dream of the What's blue the turtles or some sting? shit. Jeez, this little queen underwear, you fly off. Showing your abs to everyone. Oh God, this is a um, bunch of Alan King humor. I know it's the future, but what are you doing? Put some clothes. Put a shirt on. No one Can wants I, to see you in your weird plastic underwear. Those can't be comfortable. Stop riding the sandworms already. Can we just like? Can we just like? I don't know. Can't you get a horse or something? Uh, sorry. Um, we just went down a weird path. Um, so yeah, the legend general. Um, I think her mom's such a fucking bitch in this. Like she's such a not helpful. Yeah, not like, a helpful mom. I just I didn't like that. When segment your daughter at tells all. you that there's a troll, at least investigate the possibility the f- yeah. that there is actually a troll. Yeah, it's just tree branches. It's just tree branches on your roof. That's just count exactly backwards. It, it means the storm is going away. Oh dear lord. <laughs> um, and the dad was kind of. Uh, the dad was familiar. I I can't remember his yeah, name right. Yeah, he feels like it, like somebody's dad. Though I feel like he, he wasn't he like at the Sopranos or something. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but um, overall, I like the in between. Just like a little tiny Easter egg um, in between when he, the cat sequences were uh, before the ledge, and the cat walks by this like TV store. They're showing Carrie. So, no one else got that except for me. I got it. You didn't catch I it. I totally caught that, Did yes. You? Yes. Fine. It was Carrie. It was motherfucking Carrie. Yeah. 
Props to you. Uh, it's also a reference where, uh, Rob, where with Alan King and Robert Hayes sequence where he goes, you get the girl, the gold, and the watch or something like that. And that's actually a reference to a uh, movie that Robert Hayes starred in that was not a Stephen King film oh. that was called That Line. Like the name, it was a uh, Donald Westlake novel adaptation, I believe, oh, wow. uh, that, that he starred in. Your knowledge and, of movies. And one of the voice actors in this film was one of the main guys from the Muppet Babies. And you notice there's a Muppet Babies balloon in the third segment. Oh, shit. I didn't see that. Uh, Holy cow. It's not even a movie. It's, it's basically a reference machine. Yeah, it pretty much is a reference machine. But anyway. Uh, anyway, Cat's Eye. Love it. Whatever. It's a I, movie. I, I enjoy this movie. It is, to steal word from Robert Summers, junkie, but in the in, in a fun way. Um, I really get annoyed with the whole... I love the fact that the cat is a protagonist, but this Monkey. ghost of the future of Drew Barrymore's character from the third segment going, I need your help. What the fuck is that? That's the laziest fucking thing I've and seen And then ever. not to mention the developmentally disabled daughter in the Quitters Inc. That's Drew Barrymore in a wig. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like, so like, what do you... you this whole thing is like half-assed, but it's elevated by some really great performances and based on some really great Stephen King stories. Like I said, the third story, the only thing that makes it tolerable is that the actual effects of the troll thing are pretty cool, because otherwise it's garbage. It's not good. Why is the troll wearing a jester hat? I because th- I that was currently in fashion why, with trolls why? at the time. 80s trolls, they had their own thing going yeah. on. You know, it was yeah. a- it was a strange time for them. Yeah. That's all I can say. Nowadays, they're all, like, just yeah, hashtag comics. That's what I'm saying to you. Like, it was weird <laughs> that the troll has, like, a little outfit and, like, a knife. I mean, you guys haven't said a lot that that I have to add to this other than, like, I think this is a lot of fun. I think if you skip this along the way, uh, because it's got middle-of-the-road reviews, I totally understand. But it really is fun and worth watching. Just forgive it. It's trespasses, as it were, against good taste, of which there are a number. But uh, because when it rewards you, it really does, especially in those first two segments, which are quite good. Uh, James Woods, as much as he is a mega prick in real life, like one of the biggest prick actors that that is alive, I would say, without reservation, is so good at playing an asshole character, which, you know, obviously he doesn't have to reach real deep in, that he's kind of a pleasure to watch when he has to do it. Sadly, has tarnished his great acting legacy. He has indeed. Well, let's move on to our final film, which is, of course, the legendary uh, film. Orson Welles, I believe, said this was his favorite movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> Roger Ebert gave it five stars. Uh, yeah, uh, that is Tales from the Hood. I never saw this before we were prepping. This is the only movie on this list, yeah. except quite on, that I had never seen before. And... I, because it's called Tales from the Hood, and I was like, "Why would I watch that? That sounds I've like garbage." Meant to see this movie. Yeah, I've always, but that's the thing. I was assumed this was direct to DVD garbage, and what's the point? And then I lately, in the last few years, have been hearing, "No, nah, it's actually pretty entertaining. You yep. should give it a shot." And I gotta say, watching it, and maybe it's in this post Get Out era. I had a lot of fun with this movie myself. I did. It's dumb. I won't deny that. And the framing device, the way it ends, is like. For fuck's sakes, that's all you had. But I had fun watching this for what it's worth. But I'm not the synopsizer. All right, I'm going to read this one. Um, 1995. 1995, Tales from the Hood, produced by Spike Lee. Spike Lee. Shocker. Uh, three criminals meet a funeral parlor director to buy drugs, but only after he tells them several supernatural stories. First up is a cop who is haunted by the angry spirit of a community activist murdered by police officers. Second is about a uh, teacher 
who investigates whether his troubled students' claims of being attacked by a monster are true. Third is about a racist politician who faces haunted dolls in his estate with a dark past. And the fourth is about a drug dealer who volunteers for an unusual rehabilitation program. That's a pretty good summary, Russ. Yeah, well done. Um, yeah. Good job, Russ. <laughs> so, uh... That's why we keep you around. Thanks. Chris, since you liked it, why don't you go first? What did you think? Uh, sure. Uh, for one thing, like this is so played way over the top on every level, and it's Spike Lee, and who is not directing this, mind you. It's it's Rusty Cundiff, who Ooh, did Fear um, of a Black Hat and has worked on The Chappelle Show. You were going to say, Patience? He also is the teacher in the second segment. Okay. Oh. Uh, yeah. But Spike Lee closely overseeing this mm-hmm. thing, which... Every segment is definitely sort of supposed to be a very Tales from the Crypt, EC Comics thing based on concerns of people living in, of, of black people living in impoverished areas. Sort of you know, urban legends mixed with modern political concerns. And at the, when, quite frankly, that's kind of clever at this point. Like nobody had really done anything like that yet. And that's part of a bigger part of this film's attraction to me is I'm like, that's kind of cool that somebody actually did this and they got a studio to put the, put the fucking thing out. And I really like Clarence Williams III, who comes in as, is basically the crypt keeper here, who's the uh, mortuary assistant who's so ridiculously over the top, over the top, eating all the scenery here. <laughs> I mean, these are not well-made sequences, per se. This is not incredible. Nobody's going to look at this and go, wow, look at the cinematography from this thing. Look at the spe- even the special effects from this thing, which are awful. But they're all sort of based on other horror stories you've seen before, but with a clever twist that makes them an African-American concerned one. I, in particular, liked uh, the uh, KKK comeuppance, which is Corbin Benson as a racist Southern senator who is bought a giant mansion that like has a history of horrible shit that happened to slaves living there, including a uh, older black woman who in, according to the legends had created voodoo dolls that would do her bidding that had the souls of slaves that had died horribly. And it's, it's basically this version of trilogy of terrors, like the, the little voodoo doll thing. And it, it, it plays, it's, it's fun to watch. And in today's era, there's nothing more fun than watching racist people get their comeuppance by horrible <laughs> supernatural means. I'm just, how can you not enjoy that happening? I, Overall, I walked out of this thing going, the only part that was awkward at all was seeing David A. Allen Greer, who, to my knowledge, has never played a dark, serious role other than this part as a, a physically abusive husband in the not second on, segment. No, not on film. Not on film. <laughs> it's a little uncomfortable watching him uh, to play that part there. Uh, but I... I genuinely had fun with this. It's not a good movie. It's one of those good-bad movies, but it's so well-intentioned that now they're apparently in, in pre-production on Tales, uh, Tales from the Hood 2. No, I think it's finished. Is it finished? It showed it Fantasia. Okay. Oh, did it? Yeah. Okay, so I'm kind of curious because I'm like, I feel like post-Get Out, I'm like, that's what, this that's idea exactly what is great. Like because of that, he feels like people came back around. What he this idea is great. Let's just do it better. Right. You know, uh, this is not... Great, but 
it feels better now than it probably did when it originally came out. It can be great. Yeah, uh, it's just that ending framing sequence, which is just so like, I was at the point where I was like, I'm looking forward to this finding something really interesting to say at its very end. And then it's just like, you are already dead and and really bad special effects, like really lazy special (laughs) effects. I I walked out, I, I finished this thing going like, I'm glad I finally saw it. I really am. Like I, I was like I I definitely was drawn to it and enjoyed yeah. it, but I don't know if I'm gonna come back and revisit it anytime soon. But patience, what did you think? Um I'm not like a super fan of this movie. I I agree with you. I feel like a lot of it was pretty lazy as far as you know, writing and filmmaking was concerned. Like it just, it's okay. Um, some of the sequences are a little bit more difficult to watch than others because there's definitely some like straight up like stereotyping in this that you're, I mean, that you're just like, ouch that, I mean, that really hurts. Um, road cop revelation. My biggest problem with that was, if you're gonna stop a zombie, you probably shouldn't shoot the headstone. Like, who does that? Like, that was just get your zombie. Like, come on already. Um, otherwise, it's fine. Um, and then there was like the sequence where the car blows up, like just barely getting shot at. It's just like poo poo, and then the car blows up. You're just like, all right, this is ninety five, but we can do better. We can do better than this. Um. Boys do get bruised. That's the one with the David Allen Greer, who is basically like a, um, he's like a, a domestic abuser, and he beats up his girlfriend and a, and his girlfriend's child, and the teacher ch- is trying to intervene, and he realizes that the child has like this uh, supernatural ability with like drawing, where he can like kill or hurt people with his drawings, and. Um, it's it's funny because they, he he kind of injures his bully in the beginning, and that's how you find out he has this ability. And then they try and explain it like, oh, the bully just had weak bones. And you're just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> you're like an educator? <laughs> you're a teacher and a nurse are having this conversation. So there's just like some weird parts. Um, his mom, the kid's mom in this, immediately starts, like, sexing up the teacher, and I was like, okay, this is awkward. Like, yeah. what's going on? Like, she's all, like, half-naked. And, and her boyfriend is, like, it's 15 minutes from getting home. Exactly. It was like, what are you doing? And you're like, she's kind of kind of a, a hoe a little bit. <laughs> can we say that? Uh, I, I think we can't. Well, hey, can hey, I? Can, I can, you say, can that. say that. Yeah. yeah you can say but that. I do have to say that she can take a fucking punch <laughs> oh because God. this chick gets the shit beat out of her by David Allen Greer and she gets back up and starts like you know, protecting our kid, thankfully, which is yeah. What you she oh no, you oh knows you didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the KKK comeuppance um, with Corbin Burnson. I think he kind of terrible names for segments. I just want to say uh, they, they are. It's true. It's true. Um, I think that he kind of outdoes Quentin Tarantino with the amount of racial slurs that this dude <laughs> says yeah. in this twenty-minute segment. I mean, at one point, I was like, seriously, this. I mean what else are you going to do? Like, this is too much. 
it's too much. But I did really like the symbolism in the end of when all of these dolls are about to kill him and he tries to protect himself with this American flag. I thought that was particularly um, relevant to our, our political climate in this day and age. Like, yeah. it was a poignant moment. There was a lot of moments like that where you're like, I see what you're doing and I like it. And I like it, exactly. <laughs> Um, and then um, the last segment, Hardcore Convert, honestly, I'm just like, meh. I don't even, it was just like, meh. Uh, there was this one point where he's being, like, strapped down, and then they put these, like, nose tubes, and that, I was like, oh, that's yeah, gross. That, that was, that's yeah. fucking hard to watch. Like, yeah. they're just, like, shoving these tubes up his nose. But otherwise, I was like, eh, meh. Um, I, if I was to give it a grade, I would give it a, like a C, you know, I think it's an okay anthology. It's not as good as Twilight Zone. It's not as good as Cat's Eye. It, it's not as fun, but I think it's more politically correct. But I believe this was Russell's favorite movie of all. Is it Russ? Time, right? uh, Is that correct? Know, it was definitely one of the more fun. Um, oh, I was, you I was thought you think it was fun? I thought it was fun. I didn't and think I it thought, was fun. I mean, I think I it's fun. obviously a film that has grown in estimation, um, <laughs> in the you know the time period and it's become more relevant uh, uh, okay so what I, what I also wanted to add uh, real quick was that um, Tales from the Hood has what is probably my favorite tagline ever oh yeah a movie poster which is chill or be chill <laughs> <laughs> that is my favorite and I I stand by that. That's um, pretty good. Yeah. So, um, also, uh, uh, in, in a running Russ theme, um, you know, I, I love, love, love my 80s and 90s production company logos. This one started with Savoy with the little mm-hmm. buffalo, and I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, I missed that. Um, it also has a truly terrible title card, and, uh, and the weird skeleton that it sort of, I don't know what was going on there. It never comes back. It's really terrible. Uh... It, it, it is funny to see uh, Mr. Clarence Williams III, uh, who takes his place among William Shatner and Steve Railsback with his staccato speaking yeah. style, and you can't tell if he's good or bad, but also I just always love seeing him. Like, yeah. I'm like, he's su- he, it's such a strange acting style. Uh, it's it, I don't know if it's good, but you sure can't keep, keep your eyes off it. You, you can't, yeah. and you like when he shows up, you're like, hey, it's Clarence Williams. All right, great. Yeah. Uh, the, the first story um, obviously remains very relevant with the police violence and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I do have to say, and I think this follows with some of the problems with the movie, um, why would you take your, your, your black partner to a bunch of white cops beating up another black man? That just that that part of it just didn't make any sense to me whatsoever that they were going to terrorize. He'll the guy. get it. He's yeah, a cop it's like, now. It's like, yeah, you're Code a cop. Blue. I guess that must have been the idea, but it just seemed ill advised. Uh, <laughs> they were not bright cops. Also, um, shout out to Tom Wright, who is um, Mr. Morgan from Seinfeld. Uh, yeah. I always love seeing him in movies. Uh, he was great. Um, well, you screwed me again. Yeah, you stand. screwed me again, Constance. Uh, <laughs> did anyone else notice that Wings Hauser takes the world's shortest piss break um, in this movie? I feel like he should see a urologist immediately. <laughs> um, uh, the, the last thing I would say about the first segment was that there's no rules. It doesn't even really kind of make sense from any sort of supernatural standpoint. Uh, 
Story two is more uh, coherent. I I really love seeing David Allen Greer, who is, um, and I mean it sincerely, one of my favorite actors. He's he's a classically trained actor. Uh, he 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 he's really really funny. Um, but I think he really brought something to this role. It was really interesting seeing him in it. He he played it so straight, and he was very scary. Um, honestly, I mean, I was genuinely unnerved uh, by him. Not not just because I have a history with him as David Allen Greer, but because I, I genuinely was like he he really I think got to the core of that character. And I think it wasn't until they have kind of the supernatural moment where the little kid crumples him up with the paper mm-hmm. and he's sort of stuck next to the floor or whatever that you could kind of see David Allen Greer kind of wink at you a little bit. Like, <laughs> I know this is ridiculous. Um, uh, and It I, is super creepy, though, that thing where he's like just gets all pretzled up. You're like, oh, fuck. It is, but I think he knows that visually it doesn't kind of work. So he almost kind right. of, I, I, it felt a little metal, meta to me or whatever. Um, it was totally metal. Uh, it was so metal. <laughs> uh, uh, story three, um, shout out to my boy, Corbin Burnson. Always good to see Corbin Burnson in something. Wait, what is uh, it that you love him from? He's from L.A. Law. L.A. Law. Yeah. Oh, no, but is that what you love him from? Yeah. Well, I know where he's from. But, like, I mean, he's been in a bunch of stuff. I just like, I'm trying to picture Russ sitting there every week going, oh, yeah, yeah got my new episode of L.A. Law coming out. And the cover of GQ. That was the thing. Uh this I felt that that story, while obviously it had more of the sort of wish fulfillment to it, with you know the racist sort of getting his cup up, come up, and uh, it definitely felt more of what I kind of expected Tales from the Hood would be. It was mm-hmm. I didn't feel it was the strongest story, um, and I didn't totally get why his campaign manager was African American. It felt like that that I think is where the the real problem with with. They were they were trying to do the Uncle Tom. Well, right, and I was going to say like it gets at these really interesting ideas. It just gets at them in a very unsubtle, sort of ham-fisted way. And I, I I think that was that to me was the real problem with with Tales from the Hood. I I I was like, no, I really think you're onto something here. And I think um, uh, obviously, I mean, we can all point to Get Out as an example of, of. what this movie was trying to do, but does in a more sophisticated way. But I think that, that to me, um, but that, that being said, I did, I have to give the movie credit for, for doing that, especially in the time period that it did it, you know, 20 something years ago. Um, story four, I actually thought it was pretty good. I mean, it's a little silly the way it's sort of handled, but I, you know, I thought the design and the, um, you know, was kind of silly, but it was a really cool idea. It had a, a cool twist and, uh, uh, you know, the, the last shot of the movie is uh, oh, it's all like, oh, damn it, Rob! Cell phone. Sorry, I was looking something up and it made noise. Um, the oh, and it had that parallax view kind of montage when he what would they make him watch? Yeah, or the sensory deprivation. Yeah, and I thought that was really cool and pretty upsetting. Um, I agree with Chris that the last shot of the movie is just. Um, it's such a ruiner. You're having yeah. fun, and then the movie's like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think it's sad that a lot of, uh, I'd say almost all the issues that the, excuse me, the movie addresses um, are not only relevant then, but probably more relevant now. But anyways, Bobster? Um, I, <laughs> I admire this movie for what it was trying to do. Um, I think uh, 
the idea of marrying um, social ills of the African American community and then and then viewing them through the lens of horror movie tropes is is great. It's a really cool idea. Um, specifically, you know, things like you know abusive or absent fathers, uh, you know, police violence, um, you know, the uh, ineffectual uh, racist uh, government, Politicians. things like that. You know. Things like that were like, I mean, that's great. Um, unfortunately, I think the movie's level is very junky uh, Tales from the Crypt. And so that was... It's almost as though that's what they were aiming for. Yeah, they, they don't seem to be oh, shooting for more. It, I think that is what they were aiming for. Yeah, it's for. pretty junky, um, which is too bad. Uh, especially when you consider Candyman came out three years before this movie. Oh, shit. And Actually makes takes those issues and makes it scary. A scary movie. Candyman's handling marrying of the exact same um, experiment is so is so much more effective, and you see what you know a, a more deft, intelligent hand can kind of do with it. Um, and uh, this one just isn't. I don't think it's going for that. It's going for sort of more popcorny thrills, but that's too bad. Um, I think. Uh, uh, this one was it was a little bit of a chore to get through because, like I said, there aren't a lot of rules. The segments are kind of dopey, um, you know, they're kind of overdone and, and uh, somewhat predictable, whatever. Uh, there are things I liked about them, you know, actors I think that are good in them. You know, I like Wings Hauser, he's a pretty good, uh, bad guy. And um, uh, and I liked, um, I really liked, I think the segment that worked the most for me was the last segment. Um, I think that uh, it started to really get at something with its unrepentant um, protagonist, who's a drug dealer sentenced to this. Uh, who kills this guy, he sort of starts the frame device, he kills this guy, and then he's stuck in prison, and they perform these bizarre experiments to rehabilitate him. And then in the end, he gives this big monologue about things, and um, there's a really, really affecting moment when he meets his uh, cellmate sort of neighbor, and the guy is a... um, White supremacist. Yeah, a white supremacist who tells him, um, you do my job, like how how many black men have you killed? And I was like, oh, wow, like that, that one was great. And then, you know, when he sort of gives this big speech about his world, and he's still sort of unrepentant about how angry he is about his situation in life. That I found to be, I was like, wow, this is next level stuff. I wish the rest of the movie. And also the surreal nature of, like, when they start taking him down there, and you're like, you know, when they first take him, like, most of it's played pretty straight, and they start taking him down this basement thing, and it's, like, really bizarre. It's like Jacob's Ladder or something. You're like, what's going on? And they don't really explain it. They act like it's normal. Um, and I just thought the imagery and, and all that stuff, so really great. And then I like the twist that the guys who had shot him, who we don't see at the beginning, are the three guys who are in the framing story. I thought that was a great twist. I was like, oh, shit, I didn't see that coming. Again, the twist that they're all dead is stupid. It's just mainly that I don't mind it because everything else is kind of like played for very easy comics level stuff, but it's just so badly done. Yeah. It's just the execution. I think, so that, yeah, I think the movie, I think, I think it's even possible that someone else could have done a stronger movie. Um, you know, so it's too bad, but uh, I, I, I'm, I'm iffy on recommending this just because I thought it was, what it's up to is good, but like I said, watch Candyman, watch Get Out. And, Absolutely. Yeah, what those are doing are a lot better, you know, and it's too bad. Um, maybe Tales uh, in the Hood 2 will be more sophisticated and interesting. It's possible that they've, you know, improved on the formula. I, I certainly will, I certainly hope we review it. I think it could be an interesting. I'm video. sure we so, will. Yeah. And I do want to say the last uh, segment, uh, Sorry to interrupt, but Rosalind Cash, this was her last... Who's great. Um, yeah, she's awesome. She's her her last screen, like, before Appearance, she died. Yeah. And, yeah. So, 
Well, that brings us to the end of our anthology segment, our two-episode uh, uh, show of Deliberations of Doom. Coming up next, and we're going to try and get it out relatively quick because, man, we got a whole schedule. we got a whole oh, plan. Man, we and, are... and Fantastic Fest right dead center in the middle yeah, of it. So, I mean, we, so we maybe center than big later. Halloween But we, uh, we have officially uh, announcing now our list of, screen, of uh, screeners we w- will be doing that are all available for streaming for uh, on those sites. Not VOD, but sites you can go to and stream them directly. Uh, uh, Patience, do you want to say what the movies are that we'll be covering um, on the next two episodes or so? Yes, we have Oculus, Ruin Me, Dead Shack, Mom and Dad, Tragedy Girls, Cold Hell, and Stillborn. There you go. So it should I'm be excited. a fun show. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm very I'm excited, excited too about that. I think it's a pretty, pretty solid list. Yep. But uh, we will be back in another... Couple weeks. A couple weeks. Real quick, I just want to ask everybody: What was your favorite segment of any of the anthology? Oh shit! Out of all of them? Yeah. Hoichi the earless from Quaidan. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna go with the cloak from House uh, that drips blood. I don't know why. It's good. Both good choices. Uh, I would probably go with the Landis segment from Twilight Zone. Nice. Oh wow. Man, I don't know. I feel bad that I don't have a good answer for this. Uh, my favorite... Man, podcasting gold right here, watching Rob think about this. I, I, yeah, it's <laughs> isn't more interested. I, I don't know. I, yeah, the cloak was really great, and um, uh, maybe... The Ledge? The Ledge. You're right. That, thank you for... Yeah, I think you're welcome. The Ledge was just really terrific. I did really enjoy that one, so oh. I play The Ledge. We'll be back in another couple of weeks, and until then... Yes, what follow we... us on all our social media. Yeah. Yeah, Facebook. follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, where yeah, we Instagram take pictures show. you can't see anywhere else Twitter. and videos you can't see anywhere else behind the, the scenes. Sweets. Twitter, we do regular things, including sourcing you guys on Twitter and Facebook for what your suggestions are that we should cover. And also, when we do do a questions show where we answer your questions, that's where you're going to find that stuff. And don't forget, this has its own iTunes feed, apart from all the other oneofus.net podcasts. You can yeah. go to Deliberations of Doom specifically on iTunes. Like us. Please give us a five-star review on there and say why you like us so much. And if you feel the opposite, please don't do anything. And just, <laughs> just ignore stop. us and move along. And hopefully you won't have gotten this far. Um, and motherfucking keep screaming. Motherfucking keep... Maybe that's we should add that to the keep screaming. It's motherfucking keep Motherfucking keep screaming. Keep screaming. Only when patience says it, says it, it sounds good. It sounds nice. dumb when I say nice. it. Nice. <laughs> Everything sounds dumb when you say it, Chris. Oh. Thanks. <laughs> oh. <laughs>